It's a milestone week here on the Indie Ball Report. We have two major milestones and a bunch of news in the dugout and the front office. You don't want to miss this week's episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, we're back again. Milestone number one, episode number two. 100 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. It's a milestone kind of day, ain't it? It is. And to be honest with you, it is a milestone that only one of the hosts knew, and it wasn't me. I mean, it's easy enough to forget, you know. We uh, we don't really talk about what number we're on all that much. Right, exactly. So, yeah, it's a, a very milestone type day. Exactly. And the second milestone, you guys will... I'll know in a little bit, but there is an interview this week. And if you guys are clicking from the social media or took a look at the kind of, I guess, little title card that we put up for all of these, you already know who that is. And that is, of course, uh, Logan Watkins, the manager for the Cleveland Railroad, as he's joining us this week on the show. And that's the other milestone, which is a former major leaguer has finally appeared on the show. It only took us 199 episodes to finally get one, but uh, now we have one. So uh, it's a good interview. Looking forward to sharing that with you guys, but that's going to come in a little bit later on because we do have some uh, Atlantic League news, some pressing Atlantic League news uh, this week. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a couple a uh, couple managerial hires, and uh, so a lot, lot to get into. Exactly. And so we'll dive headfirst with the first of those managerial hires, and that is, of course, in Frederick, Maryland. The to-be-named uh, Frederick Atlantic League uh, Club had announced this week that Mark Minikazi will take over as the manager for the 2023 season. Uh, obviously, he managed the Wild Health Genomes the year prior in 22, and then the year before that, he managed the uh, Charleston Dirty Birds. So he's kind of getting the the tour of the Atlantic League here, three teams, three years, uh, but certainly still a good hire. A man that's gotten a lot out of his teams that he's uh, managed and coached with, a guy that knows the league. We've A lot of our thoughts on Minikaze have been said in the past, both last year when he got the genome job and the year prior to that when he got the... Uh, the Dirty Bird job, which at that time was still the West Virginia power job. But either way, Frederick starts off very strong, gets a guy that knows baseball, knows Atlantic Lake baseball, and uh, it makes a lot of sense in the long run of things. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, I'm, I almost kind of feel for Mark Minikazi a little bit. I mean, I know he's uh, at, oh, it's awesome. He's going to get continue to manage. I mean, can the man find a home? Like, can, can he find a team and, like, the, for, a team that kind of sticks around and, uh, you know, he's able to ride it out. And I mean, cause at the end of the day, this Frederick team, I don't know, we'll see how long they stick around. So he might have to move to another, another job. But I mean, as far as a guy who's used to the situation at hand, I think it's, um, I think it's definitely a good thing because of course there's not a lot, they're kind of behind the eight ball as far as looking to, um, to build rosters and such. And, you know, well, the, Two, whole two team thing idea is something that pretty much nobody has managed through, and one of those very few people is Mark Minikazi. So uh, I think it's it's a, it's a solid hire. I think um, I'm really interested to see the the ball club that he that he puts together 
um, um, you know, when, when he's, again, they're a little bit behind the eight ball and I guess getting started to prep for the year and stuff like that. So that'll be interested, but I, interesting, but I think uh, you can't find a much better uh, man for the job in the sense of, Hey, like he knows exactly uh, the situation he's walking into, which is, a, I guess, kind of rare for what the situation actually is at hand. Yeah. That's a good point that you bring up there. Well, with the experience he has in that, dual team setup uh it is a very rare occurrence it's one that we haven't seen really work yet but i mean there is a way to make it work uh even if we're still looking for that way and he does know how to kind of manage with an unusual setup there uh i will say i think his teams have done well in the past genomes did well but not great dirty birds did well but not great so I think from that perspective, it's good. But I think your your point about the experience is really a solid one. And obviously, there's not too much else to really dis- dissect on this one here, simply because we don't have much other information here. There's going to be a press conference on Monday the 9th at 11 o'clock in Frederick. Uh, it's going to discuss the team more, the leadership more, the brand, uh, more updates, things like that. So, you know, ideally, we'll get a better picture of Frederick as a whole uh, to talk about next week uh, in that press conference here. But just from what we know so far, I do think overall it uh, it does seem to work well. And I do wonder if this is kind of their way of saying, all right, we're just going to grab a guy that's kind of used to jumping around places for one year, or if this is their way of trying to build out and say, look, we want to be here as a full-time member, a full-fledged member. Now, obviously, that'll create problems when Hagerstown comes in because, again, uneven numbers, if that is, of course, Frederick stays. But even still, I do think it is uh, something of note, something of interest, and at the very least, a good baseball hire. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I, I think he definitely knows what he's doing, and I think the again the advantage of kind of knowing the uh, knowing the situation that uh, that he's going that he's moving into is good, and you know, like he's it's his third, it's now his third year. You'd think he's going to continue to get better to better and better um, as he continues to get more more experience managing. Um, and I mean, obviously, the, the third team in three years isn't ideal, but again, it's not really uh, it's not really because of anything he did. Uh, just kind of weird situations and not of course, kind of thrown into another weird situation here. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a pretty good hire for, for Frederick and about as, about as good as they, as they, uh, could have done. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely agree with that. And it'll be interesting to see how this whole setup winds up going there. So on that note, we'll switch to the other Atlantic league manager that got named this week. And that is of course in Staten Island. Out goes Eduardo Alfonso. In comes Homer Bush, a great name, 80-grade baseball name. The former New York Yankee, won a World Series with him, will be the second manager of the team. Uh, He had a seven-year-long playing career, ended in 2005. He had on-and-off jobs as hitting hitting instructors, hitting coaches, things of that sort. Um, Most recently, though, he was the manager of the Mahoning Valley scrapers of the MLB draft league, a former, uh, what would that be? New York Penn league team, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So he has more of an experience with that kind of lower level, uh, type of player, Eugene Emerald. So again, another lower level league. 
and that's kind of where his experience is. He's a known player, I suppose. He's a known commodity uh, by some New York fans. They'll recognize the name, maybe not so much as Eduardo Alfonso, who we know had issues with that team last year. But he comes in maybe with a different approach to coaching and managing. I'm interested to hear. And, and by the way, hmm. I just want to point this out. Um, as far as in, in the Atlantic League press release, I, I don't want to do this every week. But when you talk about a player that is near and dear to my heart, it's going to annoy me. Hmm. Quote in the press in the uh, in the press release. Quote, in 2014, Bush was the hitting instructor for the Eugene Emeralds and the San Diego Padres organization, working with high-leverage players like Trey Turner and Frenchy Cordero. His name is Franchi, F-R-A-N-C-H-Y. His name is Franchi. He's a Red Sox. Or he, was a, he was a Red Sox this past year. One of my favorite. He's honestly one of my favorite players. Just a great vibes guy. Anyway, not Frenchy Cordero. Franchi. Franchi was in the Padres organization in 2014. Not Frenchy. I, I digress. Just something that grinds my gears right off the bat. Um, now, I think as far as um, as far as Homer Bush, I think the New York connection is good, um, and I think that to be honest with you, um, his it's not usually an avenue that we see very often. A guy going from uh, I, I know the MLB draft league is kind of indie ball now in the second half of the year when it's kind of draft prep yeah, in the first half. I mean, so, whatever it is. Yeah, uh, it's a, I mean, there's just nobody really there. Not to say that there aren't any good players, but I mean, like... Oh, no, I'm not saying it. Yeah. I'm not speaking of the talent, just like the way that the league is structured. I mean, um, yeah, I guess. So it's not really a... Uh, it's not really an avenue that we see very often as a pathway into any ball, but I think it's a... I think you bring up a good point, Nick, that I think... They're looking for a little bit of a different perspective uh, here. And what was obviously, I mean, you don't want to sugarcoat it, was not a very good year last year. Mm. Uh, it got better towards the end uh, under Edgardo Alfonso. But I mean, at the beginning, it was it was a disaster. Well, of course, the Yankee experience is, is very good. World Series champion uh, and, you know, Staten Island, uh, a lot of Yankee fans out there, of course. And uh, I, I, so that's uh, a strong part of it. But also... I think he's got some good experience at different levels of baseball uh, that uh, that I think could make him successful uh, in this in this role as well. So I'm interested to see how it how it turns out. Yeah, I definitely am too. And I what gets me too is that when you read through the bio and the press release here, that he does work with a lot of younger players, like youth programs, things like that. And that kind of tells me that. This hire is as much for the baseball as it is for off the field. It feels like to me is that they wanted a guy that was willing to go into the community, start doing that grassroots kind of uh, work. That um, and of course a local Stan Islander could tell me better uh, than I would know. But it's something that I don't really think we saw all too much of this past year with Fonzie at the helm. So when you're able to get that guy that can kind of go in and start building roots, which for a team like Stan Island is incredibly important, you know, all of a sudden that starts to change the way you view that hiring. And so for what it is, I don't dislike it. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a fairly young guy, 50 years old, has some major league success. I guess he's more known as a blue Jay, but certainly remembered as a Yankee with a, you know, world series, uh, 
championship under his belt as well. So there's definitely positives to take away from that. There's definitely some some marketability to have as well from there. Uh, from a guy that played, you know, 400 games in Major League Baseball. I think that's another thing that really kind of goes at extra length and kind of helping coach a ball club too when you have a guy that made the show, stayed in the show, that has that experience and knows what it takes to get there. I think it kind of commands a bit more respect. And also I think it does in a way draw more people out. And I think they tried that kind of last year where they go, oh, we'll get Aguardo Alfonso, a guy that felt like a, a Gary Perone hire just because of their experience, their history there, we'll try and use his name to try and get people out. It didn't really work. This feels like a Randy Levine hire who's involved with the ownership group here. And they're going to try it this way. A lesser known name, but more of a guy that still does have some recogn- recogn- uh, some name recognition in the area. And uh, overall, it's going to be more apt to be in that community. Maybe you're not trying to get people to the ballpark to see Homer Bush, but he's a guy that, when you go, oh, Homer Bush, yeah, I'll look at it. I'll check it out. Maybe that kind of approach. Right. I, th- I think that's because, of course, you know, Edgar Alfonso is, is a big name and certainly a, I, I guess, a, a better player than, than Homer Bush was, granted, longer ago. But I think that um, it's uh, – you're right in the sense that people aren't going to be like, oh, well, Homer Bush is the manager and now I should go to the ballpark. But I think you make the point about getting into the community and, you know, a lot of that kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that we don't – I guess that we really don't know here about what went on last year um, with with Alfonso and uh, whether or not that really happened much, I don't know. But I think that um, if that's more of an emphasis this year for, for the Ferry Hawks, I guess that makes more sense with – uh, with Homer Bush, with Homer Bush at the helm, who has more experience uh, doing that, and you you just wonder if he's um, it, there's a lot more. He's uh, you know he's he's worked a lot more with developing talent as opposed to uh, managing in the sense that uh, Alfonso is with his experience as a minor league manager. Uh, so I think that's going to be interesting. Uh, going to be interesting to see when he's actually being a legit, you know, a legit manager for the first time. But or well, I'm sorry, he was the manager for Mahoney Valley, but I guess in uh, professional baseball. Uh, so I think that uh, the the community engagement part I think is big, and I think they're I think that in year two the Ferry Hawks are trying to clean up some of the problems with I guess. The, how they were viewed from the outside as far as, as well as, uh, you know, uh, like kind of the clubhouse and just a lot of stuff that went on there. I mean, you could even start, uh, it, it was Kevin Krause, right? Yep. Beginning of the year. And I mean, that whole, that with whole mess. Picture, yeah. Yeah. With the team picture. And all of a sudden that blows up into, um, into the media. Like the guy just like, just got cut from the team because like he was, I don't know, whatever happened. There. Yeah. Like he showed up. If I remember right, he showed up late to either his practice or the team picture. And then he wasn't allowed to be in the picture. So it was something very stupid like that. If I remember right. And uh, if I'm trying to remember, because I think what happened was he was getting to the ballpark. He got there late. Fonzie made a comment about him being late. He took offense to it. And then it kind of became a, uh, you know what, I'm done here type of thing. And if I recall correctly, at the time, our take on it was, I'm not really sure 
you know, it was an appropriate reaction by either side here. It seems like an extreme here, and it seems like two personalities that just didn't work out. So I guess them leaving is for the best, but it still is a very odd thing to lose your best hitter over. Exactly. Like, that. there's too much at stake to kind of just, like, you know, let egos get in the way. And I think that, you know, Eric Shuffler is... Um, and the the like the other ownership group was probably sick of that from last year. Yeah. So they felt like a change was necessary in trying to kind of create a better culture and a culture that makes you know that makes players want to come play, uh, to come play for the Ferry Hawks, especially in a franchise that is so young, um, in general. So uh, I think I think it's a lot more clubhouse community based than it is. And it is on the field, and I think that's what makes it an interesting hire. And I'm interested, and I, I'd like to see how it goes. Definitely, definitely interested to see how it goes. And it does feel like one of those kind of moves that has some real potential here. But not again, every move has potential in the very beginning. And uh, we talked about in this last piece here, uh, managers with major league baseball experience. And with that, it feels like the perfect time to segue into that interview that we have. Uh, for you today, which is uh, with the first major leaker that we've had on this show. It took, like I said, 200 episodes to get to this point, but he's a manager. He has major league experience, and he's taking some time out of his day to come on to the show and talk to us about some Cleburne Railroader baseball, some some experiences he had in the show, and just a lot of that kind of first-time manager experience. Because you remember... uh, Watkins got that job halfway through his first season with the team after, uh, I think it was, what was it, Mike Jeffcoat, if I remember right. He retired yep. midway yep. through, and then we were speculating, was it the bus that finally pushed him over the edge? We have uh, a very interesting discussion there, and uh, so, uh, yeah, on that note, we'll swing right to that interview. Here's our interview with former major leaguer and current Cleburne Railroader manager, Logan Watkins. We're back again this week with another interview in our long-running interview series. And as we mentioned on the show that we recorded just prior to recording the interview, we have two milestones this week. One is episode 200. The second is the first major leaguer we've had on this show. And he also so happens to be the manager of the Cleburne Railroaders. And with that, we will now introduce to the show, Logan Watkins. How are you doing today? Hey, guys. How's it going? I appreciate you having me on. Appreciate you taking the time, man, to come on the show and talk a little bit of baseball with us. Uh, you know, obviously, I know it's a bit of a hectic time, so I uh, definitely appreciate you taking time to do it. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, the holiday season. My wife is from uh, San Diego, so we're oh, okay. out here in California right now, and I've got two young kids, so I'm glad I found a, found a window of time to get out here and do this with you guys. Yeah, no, we appreciate it. I mean, it's also got to be nice being in California, though, right now, get out of the cold and everything. Well, it's been raining every day until today. I don't know if you guys seen. There's been like storms hitting the coast. I mean, oh, I live in Wichita, yeah. Kansas. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I thought I was coming out to some really good weather, and uh, uh, I don't know if I brought it with me or what. But it's finally a nice day today, and we're trying to take advantage of it. Yeah, definitely. If you're into surfing, though, it's probably good weather for that, though. Get a little bit of a wave going. Yeah, well, yeah. Like I said, I'm from Wichita, Kansas. We don't get too much, uh, too like too much surf going on in. <laughs> Kansas. Fair enough. Fair enough. And so <laughs> I, I guess uh, we should probably get going on the the obvious starting point, which is uh, 
the coaching, which is something you started in 2021 with Cleburne, that is. It started as the hitting instructor halfway through, became the manager. So I guess, uh, how'd you get going into coaching? How did uh, that become the natural progression in, in your career? Because obviously you've had a very distinguished playing career. So we're going to start with the coaching. We're going to work our way backwards on it. So uh, just a little yeah. bit how you got going there. Yeah, so uh, I was going into my second year of playing in Mexico, and uh, they ended up canceling the season because of COVID. Mm. And I just had my first son, Grayson, and he was one years old. And, um, you know, I don't know how I really felt about bringing him down to uh, to Mexico, and I didn't really feel great about spending so much time away from him if I was leaving him at home with my wife. So, uh, I canceled the season. I kind of checked around, um, one of my family friends, uh, Josh Robertson, who was the general manager for the Wichita wing nuts when I played there. Um, and, uh, his dad is, was actually my coach growing up. He was okay. the GM for Cleburne. So I, uh, I hit him up and I said, Hey man, I don't know if I'm going to play or not. I'm kind of just checking around to see what my best options would be. And uh, anyone who knows Josh Robertson, he talked to me for about 45 minutes before he finally said, yeah, so if you want to be the hitting coach, that's great. <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, let's do it. And so jumped right. into that. And um, I guess here we are now. Yeah, I mean, you joined a pretty impressive staff there. You had Mike Jeffcoat, Arthur Rhodes there too. Arthur's still there, I know. So that's, that must be a very, uh, a very interesting staff to have is the first one you're joining there. You got a guy that has a awful lot of experience in baseball on both sides of you. Yeah. So actually when I, when I joined, it was just me and uh, Mike Jeffcoat at okay. the beginning of the year. And, uh, and so when uh, he decided to uh, step away and I stepped into the role, um, cause he was obviously a, a pretty accomplished pitcher in mm -hmm. the big leagues. And uh, he was pretty much the manager slash pitching coach. So we didn't really need a pitching coach. So when I took over, um, we looked around and we wanted to kind of, I think a three man staff is, yeah. is more ideal than a two man staff and yeah. uh, professional baseball. Um, so uh, we checked around and uh, like I said, the GM at the time, Josh Robertson, he uh, came into contact with Arthur Rhodes mm -hmm. and uh, also uh, brought in one of his hitting coaches from back in Wichita, uh, yeah. Jose Amato. Oh, so yeah. both of them joined the staff and we finished that year pretty strong. And I, yeah, like you said, just, um, Jose Amato has been coaching a long time. And then obviously Arthur Rhodes was in the big leagues for 20 plus years. So yeah, being around those guys, but also having to be, you know, kind of the leader of the group in my first time ever managing, let yeah. alone first year coaching, uh, yeah. kind of a weird dynamic, but I, I think, uh, we worked really well together and uh, we made the playoffs that year and had a pretty good run. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I want to know what your mindset was and what you were thinking when they kind of came to you and said, all right, we need a midseason replacement as a manager. Uh, it's your job if you want it. What, what was going through your mind when that all uh, took place? A um, little overwhelming. I, I, I like to think I, I relate really well to the players. Just I'm so recently removed from being one. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I had a good feel and a good feel for the pulse of the clubhouse. And when they asked if I, I could do it, I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll do it. Um, like I said, I think one of the first things I wanted, though, was a pitching coach because uh, that was one of the things I was a little bit hesitant on and not something as a player I really paid much attention to is, you know, when do we get 
a pitcher out of the game? When do we get someone up in the bullpen? How long before, if, you know, uh, how long do they need to be ready? So like kind of managing that aspect of it and, uh, you know, being a manager for me is a lot more fun than being the hitting coach. Cause I felt like as a hitting coach, you know, your work is, your work is pregame. And then during the game, it's, I don't know, you're kind of just bouncing around the dugout and trying to keep everybody positive when you're not hitting well. Whereas a manager, you know, you're kind of playing the chess, uh, playing the chess game of the, of the game. And I, I enjoyed that a lot more. And, uh, once I got those first few games under my belt and kind of, um, figured out, you know, the best way of, like I mentioned, managing the pitching staff and the bullpen and all that, then, uh, it's been, I wouldn't say easy, but it's been a lot more enjoyable and a lot less stressful. Yeah, I, I can imagine there. I mean, as a hitting coach, I imagine it's a bit limited as to what you can do. But as a manager, when you have your hands on the wheel, it's you're always on there. But it's also a lot more rewarding on that. And uh, I got to make sure I get Will in here because I don't want to hog all the questions here. But I'm sure he's got a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of questions yeah. to ask about 21 and especially 22, given that you guys had a probably one of the best second halves of the season that uh, we saw all of last year across the ball. So I'll, I'll let Will kind of take it, uh, take it for a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, so Logan, I guess on that, uh, in that 2020, uh, in this past season, I guess uh, you guys had such an, an incredible second half after, after struggling a lot for that first part of the season, I guess from, from your perspective, like what went in, uh, what went into that turnaround? Is there anything that I guess I don't know that you changed, or just uh, or or anything else that you saw change to really spark that type of crazy turnaround? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we started the year six and twenty-four, so <laughs> we could only get it, we could only be better from there. You know what I mean? So um, it was uh, it was a little bit of um, I think a lot of teams in independent ball faced the same issues where we had probably four or five guys that were supposed, uh, supposed to be with our team to start the year um, uh, that were foreign players. And we ended up uh, the, getting a visa. Uh, the visa process um, last year was extremely difficult. And I think it may be just the way the world is now with COVID and all that stuff. I think that it was just difficult. So we didn't end up getting those guys in. And two of them were big league guys that we had penciled in to be in our lineup. And, um, we thought, you know, that first month we thought we still might get them. They might just be late. And then when we finally received word that their visas had been denied, um, we said, okay, well, we need to find long-term solutions now, which at the time we had uh, some guys on the roster that promising players, but young players, maybe not quite ready for the American association. Um, so once we decided, yeah, let's start, let's find these long-term solutions. Then, uh, we ended up getting, uh, Casey Clemens, um, Roger Clemens son, uh, come in and play first base. Um, we signed Hill Alexander, who was just in double A with, uh, Tampa Bay, um, and had just been released. Uh, those two guys came in and made an immediate impact. Um, I think Casey Clemens hit like 460, like his first month and a half with us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then, yeah, we sent some of those young guys out to uh, some maybe younger leagues so they can get some good experience and guys that I'm I'm still continuing to track. And, you know, if, uh, as they get more experience, maybe guys that we had uh, this year or next year. But, um, yeah, we just basically we just kind of overhauled the roster a little bit with more experienced guys and long term solutions. And um, it, it may, definitely made an immediate impact. 
and Logan, you mentioned the the whole the whole visa process, and especially like I know post COVID, it's it's something that so difficult and a lot of fans i know uh are just not that familiar with well that's so much of what goes into building a roster is trying to trying to work with trying to work with visas and stuff and i know you played uh, in the american association of course but as a, a young manager at that time kind of dealing with those problems was that i guess how did you navigate kind of dealing with dealing with that uh for the first time in your first like full off season uh as manager having to not just deal with Hey, like I'm just trying to put together the best team I can, but also like all these logistical issues that could possibly, you know, pop up. Yeah. So, I mean, the visa process is something extremely new to me, not something I ever dealt with before. And it was, uh, it, it was kind of the responsibility of our front office and, you know, they did, they did everything they could. It was just kind of, and again, I think a lot of teams ask like talking to other general managers, uh, and managers in the Atlantic League and, you know, around our league, uh, a lot of guys dealt with the same thing, getting visa guys in. And um, it was just unfortunate because if we had known, you know, at the start of the year, hey, we're not going to get them in, then right then you can make you can make that decision, okay, let's find a long-term solution. But we were kind of holding out hope, and uh, unfortunately we held out hope for almost a full month before we finally realized it just wasn't going to happen. Cause I mean, that, that, that's, that's the struggle, right? That's, that's kind of what we were dealing with. We don't want to bring in an experienced guy that's expecting to be here. And then the visa guys show up and we got to tell that experienced guy, Hey man, sorry, you, you know, you were just right. a bandaid for us. That's not what we wanted to do. I don't, I don't think that's fair to, to, uh, that player. Um, whereas a younger guy, we were pretty transparent, like, Hey man, you know, like this might be a temporary deal, but, uh, being completely transparent this could be a great opportunity for you to get exposure in this league for down the road whether it's our team or any other team so that's kind of how we navigated that first month um was it the right way to do it i don't know but uh once we finally uh flipped the switch um it worked out but yet like like you mentioned the visa process is it's difficult and it's something that we're going to go through again this year and hopefully you know the we're a little bit more prepared to deal with it this year when you guys, and as you mentioned, when you guys are, you guys are six and 24, 30 games in, are you even thinking about like, and, and I know that with the, with the new American Association and playoff format at that point, like you're, you're talking four teams and a 16 division that are making it. Uh, was, was, were you even thinking about like, oh, like, like how can we make the playoffs at this point? Were you just like, we just need to like somehow just like get on it, like win, like, I don't know, like three, like win series, like win two out of three and just, try and stack up those wins and, and see where you are like at that point. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the core of our team was good. I mean, Zach Narrier been around independent baseball for a long time was there. Chase Simpson, who has been around uh, Cleburne and both those guys were actually my teammates in Wichita as well. were there both had great years last year too. Um, like the core of our team was good. We were, we were losing a lot of those games by one or two runs and it was like one or two innings that would get away from us, whether we just misplay a ball in the field or a base running mistake, which just a lot of times you just chalk up to the, the player being a little bit inexperienced, but um, which, you know, you can't even be mad at them for there. We, we played the game hard. There was never, it was never, you know, we're not playing hard. It was just, like I said, a little bit of inexperience. Um, but we had the core of the team, right? We just knew we were a few pieces away. Like we, I don't know how many times we, you know, we had guys second and third one out and we ended up not scoring a run. And it's just, right. you know, it's just kind of like when you, when we got through like the first five, six guys in our lineup, 
you know, the back end of the lineup sometimes wasn't getting it done. And then sometimes the back end of the lineup was getting on base and whatever reason, then my veteran guys weren't getting that clutch hit for us. Just kind of one of those months where I think we just, we, uh, we just needed to turn the page. And once we finally did, it worked out. And I and then Nick, if, if you wanted to, certainly if you want to jump in at anything as far as like, uh, the 2022 20, season, go ahead as well. Yeah. That's one of the things I wanted to, I wanted to mention because I saw that you did coach some of your former teammates. So I'm just kind of wondering, what's that dynamic like? You I mean, cause obviously there's a relationship you have with the guy, just, you know, man to man, you have a relationship with him and, now it's kind of changed a little bit in the structure where it's like you're no longer teammates, you're still friends, but you're no longer teammates. And now it's like a coach and a player type of dynamic. So what's that like coaching former teammates? Yeah, so when I first took over in 21, um, it was Zach Narrier, Chase Simpson, and uh, John Nestor, who was our catcher, who are all three of my teammates in Wichita. And uh, fortunately for me, you know, like like you mentioned, that, that dynamic could be, be kind of weird or difficult um but fortunately for me all three of those guys are extremely professional and are extremely on top of their uh you know yeah. on top of their preparation and how that how you play the game and so those weren't guys that i necessarily had to manage or had to coach or had to get on because they um they're guys that know what they're supposed to be doing um so that that never necessarily got um weird or anything like that and those are three guys uh that i think we have mutual respect for one another and um, hopefully, you know, we didn't have John Nestor last year, but we, uh, we had Chase Simpson and Zach, like I mentioned, and we'll see if we get those guys back for this, uh, next year. But I think, uh, if you ask those guys, you can only play independent ball for so long. So yeah. I think, uh, they're going to maybe pursue, uh, maybe a Mexican job or something like that just to, uh, you know, I mean, like yeah. I said, you don't play independent ball for so long. You don't get rich playing indie ball, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's always the common theme across everything here. And, you know, we've had other managers on, other American Association managers on, like Anthony Barone. We had Michael Schlatt on before. Mm -hmm. So the question that I always ask them, and I'm going to have to ask you too, is what's that locker room or clubhouse like what's kind of the mentality you have when you're building your club you know day one if i'm a player and i walk into to a Watkins ran uh locker room or clubhouse what's kind of the message that you're sending there and is there a certain kind of player both you know as a physical playing the game but also as an off the field pro that you look for when you're building your roster yeah you know i kind of alluded to it uh with chase and zach and them um Number one for me is be professional and being professional is, uh, the way you play the game. You play hard every day. You're the same guy every day. Uh, the way you prepare for the game. I think as a hitter, you should know the pitcher that's starting for the other team. You should have a good game plan. Um, and, th and that should be stuff that you take care of on your own. And that's one of the messages we tell, you know, those young guys or anybody that's on our team is like, Hey, if you get back to affiliated baseball, you know, no one's going to hold your hand and take you and make you watch film on opposing pitchers. Nobody's going to make you go over scouting reports like that. That's something that you're expected to do because there's thousands of other guys very similar to you. And if you don't do it, one of those guys will and they'll they'll take that guy instead of you. So uh, just being professional, if you're hurt, you know, show up early, get in the training room. Um, and then specific to Cleburne, um it's one thing I've learned. One thing I'm, I'm looking at for players this year is you have to want to be there. Yeah. Uh, Cleburne is, if you don't, I'm sure you guys know, but yeah. for listeners that don't know, 
Uh, Cleburne is the southernmost team in the American Association. The closest team to us is Kansas City, which is an eight-hour bus trip, yeah. and they're not even in our division. So uh, you, if you want to play for Cleburne, you have to want to be there. It's going to be hot. We have a turf field. Uh, summer in Texas is is very difficult to play in, to practice in. Um and then you have to, like I said, you have to embrace it. If those bus rides are tough. It's not, it's not going to be MLB lifestyle. Um, so that's, that's one of the main things. I'm, I'm looking for guys that are professional and that are, that are hungry to, to, to be there, at least embrace their time there and, but are hungry to also get out and get back into affiliated baseball as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the point about wanting to be in Cleveland is such a vital one because I know when we saw the division set up, we were like, Oh, someone's going to wind up with Cleburne here and it's a matter is Cleburne going to get it slightly easier or are they really going to have to put a lot of miles on the bus and it wound up being they're going to put a lot of miles on the bus and uh, it is yeah. it's one of those difficult ones where you're the only Texas team so it's like okay the Texas to uh, Winnipeg trip is not going to be a fun one but uh, no. yeah I can only imagine what that's like on a bus sitting for that long yeah yeah yeah, you probably just want to imagine it. You don't want to experience it. I promise you that. <laughs> yeah, I could. I definitely would leave it there. So, uh, yeah, on that note, I mean, like, we've buried the lead on the playing career for long enough. And I know Will's been chomping the bit because he has some questions, I think, particularly about your time in Mexico that he wanted to ask. So I guess I'll let him kind of take the lead on that and, and uh, get started on that front. Yeah, I think, um, okay, first of all, before Mexico, uh, in your big league career, you get to play, I mean, straight up, you get to play home games at Wrigley Field. Uh, what's that like? That seems pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm only 33 years old. I'm young, but that seems like forever ago. I, I, I made my debut when I was 23. Um, and the cool part was I, I was drafted by the Cubs, so I made my way, you know, level by level, year to year. Uh, and then I, I finally got there and very first game I, I started, uh, was a day game at Wrigley Field, which is ideal. It's kind of the way you, you, you want to script it if you were, uh, brought up in the Cubs system. Um, yeah, it was incredible. It was, uh, I, I, I remember the only reason I remember is because I made a point to try to remember just to slow down, take a deep breath, look around at certain points of the game. Cause I know that that experience, I knew it was going to, it was going to, you know, I didn't know I was going to be in the big leagues for 20 years or if I was going to be there for two days. So uh, I tried to slow the, I tried to slow time down and take it all in. And I, I did that. And I have some fond memories of, you know, looking up at the press box when I was out playing second base, uh, you know, looking around at all the fans, you know, in the outfield grandstands. And, um, you know, a lot of it was a blur, but there, there are definitely a f quite a few uh, visions and stuff that I, I, I won't soon forget. And I also wanted to, and I also wanted to touch on Mexico because I, I know, at least from from my experience talking to, you know, a lot of a lot of indie ball guys who might be, uh, I guess, you know, on the older side, and maybe that getting to the, getting to the big leagues at that point really isn't, I guess, that realistic of a goal for them. Um, and so a lot of them tell me, and I, I want to agree with this, that they kind of seen that. The, like trying to get a contract in Mexico or playing in the Mexican league is almost like their version of the major leagues because there's, uh, I mean, like, fans are crazy, stadiums are big, all that stuff. I just, can you describe like what your experience was playing that like one year in Tijuana? 
Yeah, so Tijuana is maybe the craziest in the whole league. Uh, great fans. Uh, the very first thing I noticed playing there was the music is loud from when the pitcher releases the ball and they cut off the music. And then once the catcher catches it, the music's back on. It's really loud. And, you know, there's cheerleaders like it's 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 really good baseball. There's some really good players down there. And there's a lot of guys I played, uh, you know, on my team in Tijuana, James Russell and Junior Lake were on my team. Both guys I played with in the big leagues with the Cubs. So they're really good players down there. Um and uh yeah but that's the first thing you notice is the noise um and once you kind of like you know settle in and you you know kind of get used to it then it's just back to playing baseball that's one of the first things i i remember thinking like wow this is it's pretty intense um but yeah like you mentioned it like going down there uh to play in mexico not that i was giving up on getting back to the big leagues or anything but um I, the year before, I was in Wichita in independent ball, and uh, I had a really good year, and I didn't end up getting uh, signed back to an affiliated team. So at that point, I don't know if I if I said, well, I don't know if it's going to happen, um, but might as well make some money. And obviously, Mexico is a place that pays fairly well. So um, that was the mindset going down there. And I'm, I'm quarter Mexican myself, so I got my Mexican citizenship and played okay. as a local on the roster, which... Uh, if, yeah, I don't know how much you guys know about that, but that gives you quite a bit of job security. So, um, so yeah, so that was kind of, uh, that was kind of the experience and it was a good one. I'm glad I did it. My wife is from San Diego, like I mentioned. So we lived, Tijuana's, uh, a good setup. Like a lot of the American guys actually live in Southern California and they send a driver to pick you up on this side of the border and they bus or they drive you down to the stadium. And after the game, they take you right back. So that was a pretty good setup. My wife was home. So it was a good deal. And just just to confirm, um, so they would be blasting music the entire time, and the pitcher releases the ball, the music cuts, and then the pitch, and then it like hits the catcher's glove, and then the music starts again. Yeah, it's about that quick. It's it's like sometimes like because you know if you go to a minor league game or probably in the big leagues, I in independent ball, you, sometimes those guys that are up there working the music don't cut the music off when the pitch is thrown and everyone looks up at the press box like, what are you doing? Yeah. But so that's my first game in Tijuana. I was like, man, this, this got to happen all the time down here. But the guys, were, they were actually pretty on, on top of it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, I've, I've never heard anything like that. I mean, that's, that's got, is that not, I guess, was that, that was a pretty major adjustment like when you first got in or was you, were you too locked in to even really think about that that much? Uh, yeah, like I said, it was it was a little bit of an adjustment, but it got used to it fairly quick because that's just the way it was. It, if if I can describe it like anything, it, it was kind of like a soccer crowd. I think uh, it was constant, like a constant buzz, and then the fans had like noisemakers and stuff like that. They were hitting stuff together. It was really cool atmosphere. I mean, like I wasn't used to it, but better better that than nobody in the stands. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it sounds like it's a party atmosphere where it's like, okay, we're we're just excited and happy to be watching live sport. Like, honestly, it sounds pretty great. And the thought of like inner, I guess it'd be international <laughs> travel for work. It's just like, I don't know why. It's just like such a, a cool thought to me because like we're from northern New Jersey. So, you know, the thought of someone going Connecticut to New York or New Jersey to New York or even Pennsylvania to New York really isn't that unheard of. But like 
Yeah, I just got to cross the border real quick for a couple hours, get my game day workout in, play play nine innings, and then I'll be back before uh, before midnight. Don't worry about it. Like that's yeah. just like it's not. It's just such a weird but cool concept to me. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an ideal setup, and I think we're. I think Tijuana was the only team that was afforded that luxury, especially for the American guys, yeah. uh, to be able to actually live in the states. Um, uh, it was it was a little sketchy on payday driving <laughs> back across the border because they pay you in cash, so that was a little sketchy. But yeah, uh, yeah. once yeah. you hit American soil, you take a sigh, you take a take a, a deep sigh of relief. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's like a beeline right to the bank. Like, okay, I got this bag of cash. I need to get across this border and get a deposit slip as quick as I possibly can do before something yeah, goes wrong. I'm, yeah. I'm sure the, uh, the Bank of America ATM camera picked me up and we're thinking some sketchy thoughts about this guy coming in, <laughs> dumping a bunch of cash into the ATM. Oh, uh, really? Uh, but. Yeah, there's a couple, uh, a couple other questions I really got, and you've been very, good, very appreciative of your time so far, so I, I appreciate it. But uh, the two kind of major baseball ones I have left is one: you mentioned you're a Wichita guy, and you played for you know the Wing Nuts, which is obviously the Wichita team there. So I kind of want to know what was it like playing in front of that hometown, you know, playing for essentially your hometown team there, and then on the other side of it. You know, I was looking through the box scores of all the games you're playing in uh, Major League Baseball, and the pitcher in the game that stuck out to me most was against Garrett Cole. So I kind of want to know what that was like going against Garrett Cole because you had a pretty decent game against him than the uh, one I was looking at. Uh, yeah, so playing in Wichita, um, I, I mean, I was born and raised in Wichita. My dream in life was to either play football at Oklahoma or play baseball at Wichita State. And yeah. I was fortunate enough. I signed, uh, I signed to play at Wichita State, ended up getting drafted out of high school and not getting to play there. So this was not quite, you know, filling that dream, but playing for the Wichita Wingnuts, uh, was still really a cool experience. Um, I grew up going to that stadium uh, when I was a kid. They were the Wichita Wranglers, which yeah. was the double A for the Royals. Um, so going to that stadium to watch those games. So then being the team that's playing at that stadium, being on that team, um, really cool experience. I got to sleep in my own bed. I got to be with my family, my grandparents, and my my parents got to come to every home game. So uh, really cool experience. Had a great you know uh, coaching staff, team, yeah. uh, front office. Everything was great with that, and that was a uh, good time um and then uh yeah facing garrett cole um i remember he had really good stuff (laughs) i don't uh i think i think he got me more than i got him i maybe walked off him and got a hit or two off him i think i faced him over two or three different starts maybe um yeah but yeah he, he was he was uh he was as advertised he he's got really good stuff it's it's interesting when you're up there some of the guys that you know, you build up in your mind, oh, man, how am I going to get a hit off this guy? This guy's, you know, been in the big leagues forever. His stuff must be incredible. And then you get up there and up, up against them, and it's not nearly as bad as you thought. And then there's yeah. guys that, like, for example, I remember facing Bronson Arroyo, uh, oh, yeah. who never had crazy good numbers, I, I don't feel like. And I don't think the year I faced him, his numbers were all that great. But I remember feeling extremely uncomfortable the entire at-bat because he was changing arm angles on me and, throwing any of his five pitches and any count and which just had me off balance so it was just it was crazy uh 
you know, just being in the big leagues, kind of experiencing, uh, you know, how, how good some of those guys are. And, and then also not saying some of those other guys aren't great, but like how maybe you build some of those guys up in their head and you're actually on their level or you feel like you can compete with them. Yeah. I mean, Bronson Arroyo is one that's a, a name that I haven't heard in a while about. I mean, I just distinctly remember because of that pitching mechanic with the way, the, the way he did is I could understand as a batter, like, that's kind of mess with you. So like that's definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I hit left, I, I hit left-handed and he, he would throw like a Frisbee backdoor slider at Wrigley. And the ball was going out of the batter's eye into the grandstand of the crowd. And I couldn't even see the ball. And I was like, well, I don't know how, what am I supposed to do with this? And he, yeah. he, I believe struck me out twice and three, two counts on backdoor sliders. And I got to be honest, even if I knew it was coming, I don't know if I could have seen it to hit it. It was, it was out of the batter's eye. So yeah. <laughs> just, uh, it's it's crazy some of the some of the things I remember, but that was definitely one of those days I I wish I could forget. Yeah, but, I mean, and definitely had some good days off of other pitchers too that were pretty well acclaimed. Justin Masterson, you you got a home run off of him. I remember I saw you had a, a really strong day against I think it was Matt Garza too uh, against in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, like there's definitely like seeing that kind of dynamic is always something that's very interesting to me. And I, all I have left, I have one question, but it's always one kind of like off the wall question that I just come about in my research. So before I get to that, uh, will, if you have anything else left to ask, uh, I guess now is a good time for that. Yeah. No, I don't think, I think he's pretty much answered everything I had. So you had that one question through for his fire away. Yeah. So the one question that came about, because, uh, obviously we scheduled everything yesterday and then once it was all settled, I, battled down and I got all the research done and so what I need to know is because you mentioned in one interview I saw you do that you were in MLB the show one year so I need to know first off what was your show rating and comparatively who's a faster player in the show and does it compare in real life between you and Anthony Rizzo (laughs) yeah I think that I I knew you were going to go there uh Yeah, I remember talking about that. I don't remember what my rating was. It wasn't any good. Um, you know, still uh, better than mine. My, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, so I was probably like 60, 70, I don't know, something like that. But I just remember, and there was a game I played quite a bit. And I just remember they had Anthony Rizzo faster than me. And I, uh, I don't like talking about myself very often, but I could have maybe run backwards faster than Anthony Rizzo. Um, and Rizzo was one of my favorite guys. He, Rizzo was one of the guys that kind of took me under his wing when I was up there, and yeah. he, he called me kid, even though he's like three weeks older than me. But uh, but yeah, I, I I just remember being really turned off by by that video game, and um, yeah. and I I still play it. Uh, yeah. but I remember the year I was on it, I was extremely disappointed. I don't think they they did the research. Yeah. Being honest, did you go in and change his rating to be slower? I think I changed mine to be faster, if anything. Well, that, see, that's just an important thing that you got it right because that's it's yeah. important to do the correction. I mean, I, Sometimes you got to do it yourself. Yeah, I mean, obviously Rizzo is still a fantastic player, yeah. and he does a lot of things better than me. But he, I wasn't, I wasn't yeah. cool with him being faster than me. It yeah. wasn't, that wasn't something that I, I looked yeah. at and 
had a smile on my face about. Yeah, I imagine. So on that note, we appreciate you <laughs> taking the time to do this. And as I mentioned in the pre-interview, and as we do every time we have somebody on, we like to give five, ten minutes at the end to say anything you want to say, promote anything you want to promote. If there was a topic we touched on that we went on a little too fast that you want to go back to or something we didn't get to that uh, you want to discuss, uh, now's the time to do it. The floor is yours. Yeah, I don't have anything off the top of my head. Uh, I think this is really cool that you guys do this. Um, you know, when you reached out to me about doing this interview, I started uh, the Anthony Barone episode. Yeah. Uh, I I think I got a, a few minutes into it, and I, I usually listen to podcasts when I drive, so yeah. I need to get back into that because he's one of my friends uh, within the American Association. Um, but yeah, I think this is cool that you guys do this, and I, I, I really hope uh, – you know, coverage of, of independent baseball continues to be uh, good, and hopefully people tune in. hope p- more people come out to our games and stuff like that. I, I think, uh, I think you know, not, not a lot of people understand, you know, the quality of baseball that's played in, you know, the Atlantic League, American Association, Frontier League, and, you know, even the Pioneer League and some of those leagues with younger guys. There's some promising young players that eventually make it to our league, and, um are really good players. I hope, I hope people understand that it's important to get out and, you know, as crazy as the world is these days, going to see a baseball game is still one of those things that, uh, it's pretty pure. There's, there's a lot of really good baseball players out there to go watch and see and enjoy. And if they're your hometown team, I'm, I'm all about promoting, uh, local sports and local teams and, um, which is why I mentioned I always wanted to play for Wichita State and be a shocker uh, and never got the opportunity to. But, uh, I mean, growing up, that was one of those things I I, want, I always tried to do if I could, go out and see a Wichita State baseball game. Um, yeah. and, and the Wichita Wranglers, too, like I mentioned. I, I think that's important for kids uh, to, you know, get outside. And when you're outside, go, go see something. There's a lot to do in local communities. And uh, fortunately uh, – like I mentioned, in Cleveland, Texas, it's extremely hot, but we have a really loyal fan base as well. And um, not sure how many of those those fans are going to listen to this podcast, but uh, we do a pretty good job of, you know, at least uh, letting them know that they're extremely appreciated. And I'm ex- I'm excited to get back down to Cleveland uh, this summer and see all those guys and uh, have another great year. And hopefully, we can put another really competitive team on the field. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the goal here. I know Cleburne's always been pretty good with us for any sort of access. And I mean, that's the whole point in starting this was trying to get these teams and these players some awareness. I mean, Will kind of grew up with Somerset. I had the Nork Bears for a bit. And then obviously, I mean, you look around northern New Jersey, we've had dozens of teams. So it's just it was always just something that seemed underappreciated because there's just a lot of guys to get overlooked at this level. But uh, they deserve to get that look because they really do have that kind of talent so i definitely appreciate yeah, it's fun it's fun to get into I, I think it's fun to like track you know the teams in these leagues like yeah. um i i'm a fan of sports i'm big into college football but like i mean like when the world cup was going on here just recently it's kind of fun to get into something you don't know as much about and kind of learn about the players like um oh yeah it's it's just kind of fun to detach from your life and dive into something else and get you know, kind of dig into it and, and you, you'll find that it's actually really interesting and really entertaining. And I think independent baseball is, uh, you know, yeah. not something I even was really aware of or, uh, took into account until I was actually an independent baseball player. And I realized, man, this is, 
there's really good players in, in this league and there's guys that probably should be getting a second chance back to get to the big leagues. And unfortunately a lot of them don't, but uh, hopefully with MLB and affiliated teams uh, kind of recalibrating everything uh, post COVID and uh, hopefully maybe they, you know, yeah. scout and come out and really uh, take a little bit more of an interest in independent baseball. Cause there's some really good players in these leagues that deserve uh, another shot. Definitely. I mean, we've definitely seen that uptick and honestly, that's what the appeal is for independent league ball over minor league ball. For me, it's just that when you see affiliated minor league teams, it's that understanding like, okay, we're here to develop these players. That's what our end goal here is. When you look at the independent side, it's like, okay, these guys all want to get back to either affiliated baseball or have another shot in the major leagues or try to go overseas to Mexico, Japan, wherever it may be. And they're trying to win the game. They're trying to put up numbers. It's not about like, okay, I just need to work on this particular element of my game today. It's we're here to win this ball game. And that's what we're setting out to do. And seeing that kind of competitive nature, like even like I'm sure as a player, it's definitely noticeable. But even as a spectator, it's like, you can tell when guys are trying to win a game and when they're just trying to improve elements of their game. And that's always the appeal right. to me is that competitive nature. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, an independent baseball, if that starting pitcher is, is cruising and has a no-hitter through seven, we're going to let him try to get it. In, in affiliated baseball, there's more than likely there's uh, pretty strict pitch count rules on those guys. And, and you know, you if you go to see a minor league baseball game, you might get robbed of seeing a no hitter because of, you know, those kinds of rules that those organizations have on their players, which, you know, you, you don't blame them. I mean, yeah. I, I get it. You're developing guys to be in the big leagues. So if they throw a no hitter in the minor leagues, it's, it's cool, but it's not that big of a deal. And independent baseball, we'll let them get it. Like, I mean, we're, 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 we're here for, uh, we're here for development, but like you mentioned, we're here to win and uh, we're here to entertain our fans. So, when moments like that are, are possible, uh, we let it play out. And like you said, that's part of the appeal of uh, independent baseball. And and like I keep mentioning, I just I just hope everyone knows like the players that are in this league. Like I couldn't believe playing in this league and now managing in this league. Uh, the the amount of talent, like teams like Joe Calfapietra at Kansas City oh, yeah. puts. I mean, he had he had Pete Cosma and Matt Adams on that team last year, guys that won World Series. I mean, oh, yeah. I had. Our catcher last year to start the year was Hector Sanchez, who backed up Buster Posey uh, for six, seven years in the big leagues and won a World Series. I mean, there's there's some extremely accomplished players in this league, and there's young guys too. That's the cool that's the cool thing about the mix of it too. You have older veteran guys like that, and then you have young guys that, for instance, we had a kid last year named Hunter Wolf, who yeah, uh, yeah. went to TCU. Yeah, he went to TCU, got drafted twice. Uh, didn't get drafted the COVID year. And so yeah. we were fortunate enough to get them. So there's exciting young players too, that uh, it's, it's just really cool how you can mix a roster with guys like from both ends of that spectrum. Yeah, it definitely is. It It's just such an appeal there. I mean, you mentioned no hitter and we'll let you go after this because you've been very, very good with your time, but uh, I, good? yeah, the last year, like my far, my favorite memory at a ballpark, was I finally got to see a no-hitter in person. Like, obviously, I've seen him on TV and whatnot. Everyone has, but never in person. And mm-hmm. I just decided, like, one day, oh, okay, you know, I'll go up to see Sussex County play uh, New Jersey. It's, like, 45-minute ride, not a big deal. So I go up there, and I I see the New Jersey pitcher. He's cruising through four. I'm like, oh, this game's going by pretty quick. And once we get to, like, five or six, I'm like, has Sussex County reached base yet? I don't think they have. And I looked up at the bars like, they haven't gotten a hit. No, they've only had the one or two walks. 
And so, like, I keep watching it. And, like, if you go back and dig through the Twitter feed, you can see me live tweeting it. And I think it was around the seventh <laughs> inning where I go, still, he has yet to give up a hit. And to be quite honest, with the way Sussex County is hitting today, I don't think they're going to get one. <laughs> and, right. and they didn't. And then at the end, like, I checked the box score on it. And he had a, oh, what was it? Jose, I think it was like Jose Tavares or Jose. Tavares, yeah. Yeah, Jose Tavares. Yeah, well, thanks for saving me on that one. But he had like 10 Ks, four walks, and he threw 128 pitches. I was like, there's nowhere else they would let this man throw 128 pitches and burn out his arm. But I'm like, it was his last start of the year on this level. And this is probably one of, if not the best games he's ever thrown in his life. You're not taking him out of it. You just can't do that to a guy when he's rolling like that. So, like, that yeah, was just... awesome. Yeah, it's just, like, such a great thing. And you wouldn't see that at an affiliated ballpark, but you'd see it in indie ball, which is just crazy. Yeah, no. Yeah. Someone would get fired if they allowed that to happen in, yeah. in affiliated baseball. Really? Yeah, just like uh, there's one other minor postseason game. I, I didn't see it, but I saw, like, in the press notes and whatnot... I forget what the guy's first name was, but his last name was Jones, and he threw 149 pitches in, like, eight innings. And I was thinking, who's letting him throw 150 pitches? Like, at a certain point, <laughs> like, he's not going to say, no, nah, I take me out. But, like, you get to, like, 100, 120, it's like, maybe you should get the bullpen going here because his arm's about to die. It's got to be shot and numb at this point. Who could throw a baseball 150 times in a game and not be, like ready to just have their arm fall off yeah it's incredible some of those we had a guy uh garrett alexander one of our starters this last year he uh he'll throw 110 pitches and then if we two days later if we're in an emergency and we're out of arms in the bullpen he'll go clean up and come throw an inning or two for me it's just incredible how some of those guys can can do that i know i couldn't yeah i mean just the stamina to be able to kind of go and do that their ability is just it's a feat in of itself but Right, for sure. Yeah, so we've gone on for 43 minutes. I appreciate you taking the time. I know I said it would only be 30, but sometimes it just rolls past it. So I definitely appreciate you taking yeah, the time, man. So, but yeah, yeah, no worries. This is perfect. I, I appreciate you guys. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on, man. Definitely want to have you back on again, especially when we get close to the start of the season, maybe talk a bit more about the roster and the actual uh, construction of everything. Yeah, I'd love to. Anytime. So once again, we just want to thank Logan for taking some time out of his day to come on to the show. We know he's very busy, obviously getting ready for the season. It's only a few months away, but uh, even still, appreciate him taking some time to uh, to get on the show and keep our streak of guests running, which should be uh, alive and running for at least the next few weeks. So that's very good. Excited, especially for next week with what you guys got. And I'm very much torn if we should announce it or just kind of let it simmer and kind of let some speculation go. Or if uh, I should help Ryan up, because apparently he's got his own show now. He does a show on YouTube, and uh, I'm going on that show on Wednesday. I assume the thing will be up Thursday or Friday. And I'm kind of tempted to announce it on there, but at the same time, uh, because that would that's one way to get ratings up for him. Not that he needs the help, but, you know. Yeah. I don't think that's a bad idea. Uh, then also, I haven't told him who we're interviewing yet, so I kind of want to see his reaction on camera. Oh, he doesn't even know? No, he doesn't know that we're interviewing uh, those two guys from uh, the Frontier League. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I uh, we, but I guess we'll leave it there. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do the Ryan thing. If not, I'll announce on Twitter, one or the other, so... 
But all you guys need to know is uh, it's going to be a fun week next week. We'll leave it at then. Again, thanks again, Logan, for coming on the show. We do appreciate it. But uh, on that note, we do have two other news stories to discuss this week before we lead off into the uh, wild blue night. And that is, of course, the newest GM of the Lexington Legends. And he's a name that is familiar, especially to New Jersey baseball fans, especially to Frontier League baseball fans. And that is, of course, Justin Fiorella. He has been named the president and general manager of the Lexington Legends. He's been teasing some sort of big announcement on his own personal Twitter for some time. And so uh, this was it. He is the the new man in Lexington. Uh, I, we all kind of know his resume, his repertoire, if you would. Became the GM of the Myers in 2017. Uh, came in kind of with Al Dorso. Uh, he started his role. He's gotten... Since then, really good results out of the minors. I mean, what was it? Pretty much playoffs every year since he was there, with I think one or two exceptions this year, and I think last year were the two uh, years they didn't quite get the job done. Obviously, kind of weird seasons, but whatever. And uh, prior to that, championship appearance, championship, you know, some really good results, really good seasons, put together some really good teams there. And uh, yeah. It does seem like a pretty good fit. I am very interested to see here how he fits in Lexington. I'm, I'm curious to see how he makes a transition from Frontier League to Atlantic League. Because on one hand, it's obviously a huge jump in scale. And it's a huge jump in trying to get players. And he's going to have to do this all without Bobby Jones, a guy that, quite frankly, they worked really well together. That said, though, you also don't have anything holding you back now. There's nothing to really, you know, shock you down. No roster restrictions. There's still a salary cap, yeah, but it's higher. So there's a lot more possibility here. So I'm very interested to see how that winds up turning out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you can't find. I mean, certainly a guy that uh, that one of the one of the better GMs, like really in, in independent league baseball, and done so well with Sussex County, like on the field, like the performance, uh, the performance was great, um, really consistently great as well. And so I think especially, you know, as Lexington's trying to, I guess, I don't want to say rebrand itself because it's not a literal rebrand, but like, it's like a kind of a reboot, refresh. Yeah, like a remodel. Yeah, like a makeover type of thing with the brand new ownership group. I, I think it's a really interesting hire. And you mentioned the really the jump up in scale uh, going from, you know, Sussex County to, to Lexington and the Frontier League um, to the Atlantic League where, you know, these, the you don't have those restrictions. You don't have those uh, as strict of, uh, or well, you still, like, as you mentioned, Nick, you still have the salary cap, but it's higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I'm sure he's excited. It's a it's a really uh, big jump into a into a bigger market as well. Uh, I think it's it's really exciting, and I think that I mean it's, it looks like the legends. To be honest with you, I think they they totally hit it out of the park uh, with this hire. And I mean, he, Justin's done so well in uh, in Sussex County, and you, you, I think with the uh, I think he'd be re- he's ready for a kind of a jump up in scale. And uh, I think, I think they made a really, really nice hire here and interested to see how he kind of runs things with Lexington. Definitely. I'm interested to see that too. Obviously with Lexington, it's a college town. 
UK basketball is the game in town. Now, naturally, they're not playing during the baseball season, really. What is important is you have to kind of break that stranglehold that college sports has on a town like that. So that's the new challenge here. Whereas before in Sussex County, you had a group of people that were interested in sports and interested in baseball and that really weren't going to be traveling to Somerset. They weren't going to be traveling to uh, Montclair. They weren't going to be traveling that kind of length of, of distance, which in reality isn't that far, but it's also not the kind of casual thing you're doing either. So you had a smaller population base to work with, but you made it work. Now you have a larger base to work with. It's just they're focused on something else. So that's really your challenge is getting them to be focused on baseball in the summer. That all said, I am very curious just to see how it works. And it's kind of interesting to me. And I obviously know there is a family connection between the Lions that owns the team and the Lions is managing the team. I get that. But it's kind of interesting that the GM was second. The GM and president is second where... You're not going to let them pick their manager. And again, maybe it's just Lions is in for one year as a manager. Justin gets settled into his role. He learns how to be a baseball ops president. I believe he's just a GM over in uh, in Sussex. And he just kind of gets a grip on the Atlantic League, learns the role, gets it all under control. And then he goes out and he gets his guy to manage. Maybe that's it. I don't really know. But I will say... <clears throat> It's a new challenge within the same game uh, for Justin. I think he's can. I think he'll figure it out. He knows what he's doing. And overall, I'm going to be very, very curious to see uh, how this all ships and shakes out. Yeah, for sure. I think um, the timing is is interesting, as you, as you said, Nick. Just because um, usually you'd want that the president and the GM to be a big part of that search for manager, but then again, like. I don't know. I mean, I voiced my, I, I didn't really know about the, uh, the managerial hire just because, you know, um, the, of course the lines connection there and stuff like that. Um, the kind of just seemed like he was going to come on anyway. So, um, I think that, uh, you wonder that maybe if it's, if it is a short term hire, then, uh, then Justin's going to be able to try and hire a, hire a different, uh, hire a manager in the next year or so as well and really try and get his guy. But I think that, uh, you know, I, I still think the, the hire they made as far as president GM is a really good one, but yeah, I do agree that the timing is a little, a little interesting. And usually it, usually you'd like it to be, uh, the reverse, but you know, when you own a baseball team, you can, you can do whatever you want in whatever order you want. So, uh, so, and that's, that's the decision that was made. Yeah, definitely there. And I think that there's a back half to this as well, which is it's been a real rough off season for the miners, right? Like, you know, they have Bobby Jones split in time as I believe it's a baseball director between both the miners and the Jackals, although the Jackals seem to be getting a lion's share of time. They have a new manager. They're going to need to find a new GM. They're going to have to find a bunch of really new things and them all leaving at the same time everybody moving on to something else at the same time and all these guys being critical to this team's success up to this point because realistically before they got here it was not a very successful baseball team on the field off the field you know I think it's been roughly the same maybe slightly better but you know 
even still, there's a large chunk of change that's happening between very important people. So I'm going to be very interested to see how the miners kind of recover from this. They have a manager that has some major experience as well. So maybe that helps, you know, uh, maybe they're able to kind of find new guys, fill in there. You know, it definitely now looks like last year was kind of the last dance for that group of guys as they're all moving around to somewhere else, mostly New Jersey, but other places as well, too. But yeah, it just, I'm interested to see how the miners kind of recover from all these departures. Not to say it's going to be hard or it's going to be, you know, impossible or anything like that. It's just, it's a lot to do at once, especially when you look at the pieces that you're replacing. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, um, you know, successful, successful organizations, like not even just in indie ball, but, you know, just in sports in general, they get, you know, they get, they get poached a lot. Um, and yeah. because you're, and it shows that you're clearly doing something right. I mean, hell, look at the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, front office. It seems like, like half the, the front off, top, top front office people in baseball are connected to them in some sort of way. Or how many NFL head coaches are somehow like, uh, worked under Sean McVay at some point. So yeah. I, I think that, you know, it shows that the miners are doing something right. But at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a frontier league team in a small market. So, um, there's, it's going to be natural that some of the people that are going to try and, uh, kind of look to, look to upgrade and move on to bigger markets. And that's, it's seeming what's, what's happening here. But, you know, I think the organization there has been so strong for quite a while now. I, I would think that, uh, they'll be able to kind of reboot. Uh, it's just going to be kind of a refresh and a, and a new look. But I mean, they've, they've had success in, in that department and trying to, develop people and uh but yeah it's they it shows that they're doing something right but it doesn't make it any the any of these guys easier to replace definitely definitely on that point and uh, on that note we will go to the last uh piece of news we have for the day before we end off this week's episode and that uh, piece of news is an off-season staple around here because if you don't have at least one of these a month in the off-season what are we really doing here and that is of course a radio deal uh these have been fillers since the beginning of time for these kinds of uh off-seasons and this one comes from the winnipeg gold eyes they have renewed and extended their broadcasting partnership for the radio with uh, CJNU 93.7 out of Winnipeg to broadcast all of the Goldeye games with a 30-minute pregame show and a 30-minute postgame show. And around the Association Magazine program will also return, uh, and it will air an hour prior to the first pitch on Saturday games. It's also going to be a pitch-off season radio show that returns later in January, eight episodes of Inside Pitch by weekly basis. It will uh, have Various guests hour long. It includes a uh, new manager, Gary Taggart, uh, that will be there as well. Uh, you can look up more on CJNU's website, cjnu.ca, if you are interested in finding out more of the details about the uh, about the broadcast partnership. We never really have too much to say outside of baseball is a good radio sport. You like seeing radio deals. It helps expand the uh, reach of the team. But I still like bringing them up because it's Phil's time and it's kind of interesting and fun to talk about every week. Yeah, I mean, not really too much to add on to this off-season staple, but I think, you know, radio is good and expanding the outreach to try and reach more fans as, as possible, especially in a market like Winnipeg is 
uh, is a good thing. And, you know, they continue to extend that partnership through the season. Certainly, uh, certainly a good thing. Yep, absolutely there. And so on that note, we are just about out of topics for this week. And it kind of works out really well because in 10 minutes from now, 10 minutes real time, our time, we're going to be taking care of uh, some other important pieces of work for the show this week and going forward. So it kind of ramped up really nicely. So I guess we could take five minutes and close out this week's show. I know I said I will be doing the the top three and bottom three movies of the year for me uh, last week, and I don't have the sheet in front of me. So I'm going to have to either try to remember or just push it off till next week, which is what I think I'll wind up doing. Well, I think, uh, or are we doing the official things to add yet? I should probably do the plugs first. That's not how it yeah, works. Yeah, let's do that because I, I got one. Man, we're I'm all over the place today. I'm doing a really poor job of marshalling this show, despite it being my job. So uh, let's do those plugs. Let's do those plugs before I forget any further. If you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at ALPB underscore news and at IndieBallReport. You can also find the show where we find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Podbeam, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all the usual spots and joints. We're there. Rate, review, and subscribe if you're able to. You can also find every episode on the website in the process of getting all the Podbeam players up. So that way, when you listen to the show, the right feed comes up and you're actually playing the right episodes, and we get credit for that listen uh, when you play it. So website's getting up to date. You may see moments where not every episode is available, but that won't last more than like two or three minutes, and that's only if you catch me in the middle of revamping the website. So keeping that in mind, you can find the show notes there. You can find the episodes there. You can find the articles that are going to start to get written more than likely by the end of the month there as well that said do we have anything else left to add as we have about four minutes before we got to take care of that thing um so for the first time in my life um so it's going and i'm assuming this will be the case next week but the Rutgers Scarlet Knights are going to be ranked ahead of the duke blue devils uh in the duke blue devils in basketball i don't i'm not willing to say that yet why why is that because you forget one very important thing. The Rutgers still has to play on Sunday? Not so much that. Just that the rankings mean absolutely nothing. So well, they're going to go ahead and just probably put Duke down at like 20. And they're going to put Rutgers at 23. And I'm going to go, thank the good Lord, this is the case. I don't, I, I don't think Duke's going to be ranked next week. Man. I hate to tell you. We're going to beat the, the hell out of Boston College and it'll be okay. I don't think that solves the problem. Oh, trust me. BC is a dynamite program that knocked off Notre Dame, so beating them means something. Ooh. How many how many ACC wins does Notre Dame have this year? Well, they're not a true member of the conference, so they don't count. Mm. Well, neither do their wins because they have zero. Uh, so they don't count. If they were a true member, they'd have at least one. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a milestone milestone day for, for, for Will Thompson that um, – that assuming Rucker, the that come next week, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights will be ranked ahead uh, of the Duke Blue Devils in the AP poll. When they're not, I'm going to text you and go, told you so. I, I want that on record. So that that's right. the situation. I, I, I will eat my words if it doesn't end up working out like that. All right. With that uh, on the record here, I'm going to just, I'm just going to throw out something that I had, which I think I previously have mentioned on this show which is I have a vendetta against the Prudential Center because I was personally wronged by them. And in 15 years since said wronging, I've never gone back. 
I was offered, I know they're club access tickets, but they're all inclusive, 23 rows from center ice tickets, and I've turned them down because I refuse to go to that uh, facility. You're insane. That's for tomorrow's game, the, the Ranger Devil game at, noon, at 1 o'clock. You turned it down? Yes, I did. You're out of your damn mind. I refuse to step foot in that building. They won't even get a footprint out of me. That's just ridiculous. You say that, but I like to view it as I'm principled. Okay, Nick. You can't possibly justify that. No way. I certainly can, and I certainly will. So. You, know, you get food. I know, because well, I've sat and I, I know exactly the seats you're talking about. Section 8, and, yeah. And I, I've sat there a couple times, and it's incredible. Well, and you don't know what you're missing. I, I do. I'm missing going to the Prudential Center, which is something that I'm perfectly okay with. I'm principal alone. Sad. You're missing out. I disagree heavily, but that's what we're. Are you to see your own hockey team? No, I would rather pay the money to go to the Garden to see that matchup than I would get free things and go to Prudential. Okay. But I can't argue with that. But regardless, regardless. Until next week. Don't forget to play ball. What's the milestone? Well, t- episode 200. I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough.